We have a lot of false and misleading ideas about our dogs, and one of them is that dogs and children are a perfect combination. So stick around because I'm going to bust that myth and give you seven reasons why a dog and child combination can go south real quick. Welcome to Don't Throw Out the Dog, a podcast to dive into the behaviors of your dog to help you understand what they mean, how they're feeling, and what they're trying to say. It's education and knowledge for a closer connection, bringing your best friend even closer. Now your host, Armando Morales. Hey everyone, this is Armando Morales and we're back at episode 8. I thank you for being here and for listening in. I'm always highly appreciative and grateful. And today we're talking about a delicate subject. I think I've got quite a few different subjects that can fall into that category, but this one is about dogs and children. One of the most difficult and heartbreaking situations that I can go into when I go deal with a case and with a family is that of a dog and a child not being able to get along. They're somehow clashing in one way or another. Generally speaking, what I often get is the parent who sees the trouble coming from and stemming from the dog. So often the conversation goes like, my dog is not getting along with the child, or my dog is threatening my child, or my dog is trying to bite my, ch- my child, or my dog has bitten my child. It's almost always the emphasis is on the dog. The dog is the problem. And that's the way that they see it. It's a highly emotional place to be in because, of course, who doesn't love their child? And often enough, these children that I'm referring to are smaller children. So they range somewhere between the age of two to maybe five or six. We humans, we parents, we see our children as angelic, as if they can't do any wrong. So we certainly don't want to put them into a situation where we feel that the problem is with the child, that the child is at fault, that the child is the instigator, that the child is creating the scenario that is bringing or eliciting this behavior out from the dog. However, that's very often the case. That is almost always exactly what is happening. The the dog who feels that he has to get to the level where he is defensive is simply just reacting to the environment around him or her. And that environment, of course, means that the child as well and the way that the child lives with the dog. So I did some research trying to figure out the numbers of dog bites. You know, I get information from all over the place. It's the internet, of course. So I I don't have any kind of consistency in the numbers that I've been extracting. But here's a general idea or a general sense. I see that about four and a half million dog bites are reported each year. Four and a half million dog bites each year. I'm just describing the reported ones. I'm sure that there are perhaps millions of more that go unreported. And of those dog bites, over half, a good, maybe close to 60% from what I'm seeing, somewhere between 55 to 60% of what I see uh, are dog bites that are happening to children. And those numbers, you know, vary, like what, what a child is kind of varies. I see ranges from like two-year-olds to 16-year-olds. And of those, boys are typically bitten more than girls. But those numbers are staggering. Those numbers are really high. And I'll tell you that it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that dogs are biting children at the rate that they are. And let's be perfectly clear. These are not, these are not demon dogs. These are not dogs who just suddenly turned bad or broke bad. 
These are not dogs who have some kind of mental screw loose or some kind of issue going on that made them suddenly turn aggressive. Dogs rarely suddenly turn aggressive. And when they do, yes, they do often have some kind of chemical imbalance or mental kind of deficiency of sorts, for lack of a better term, that makes them behave in that way. But that is a very, very, very rare thing in dogs. In fact, when you have that dog that comes along at some point, someone almost always identifies that dog as just being completely dangerous because those behaviors are very often exhibited at an early age, puppyhood, and then they're kind of removed, right? They're put, they're put down, in other words, because they're just not homeable. Uh, no one can live with them. So when I talk about all of these dogs, these millions of dogs that have bitten a child, these are not dogs that have just suddenly become Cujo. These are not dogs that have suddenly decided, I don't like you and I'm going to hurt you in some way. It's important to understand why these behaviors happen and the situation and the circumstances that come together to create a feeling in a dog that makes him feel that this is my last recourse. This is my only action. This is the only way that I can uh, fend off the threat and take care of myself, protect myself, defend myself. So because in most cases, you're dealing with a dog that's just dealing with an overwhelm of stress, uh, of pressure, uh, possibly even anxiety, fear. Uh, there is no one coming to his or her defense, right? So there's no one, no adult intervening. Uh, and the dog just feels like he has to take matters into his own hand because there's just no other option to him. And I know that it's with many parents, it's difficult to perceive their child as a threat, but it's important to note that in the dog's eyes, and it, this is always about the dogs, this is always about how the dog perceives the world around him, and in the dog's eyes, he does perceive that child, yes, that little, happy, stumbling, fumbling, confused, loud, two or three-year-old child as a threat. And when I go into these home situations, what they want is they want me to train the dog. They want me to train the dog to get along with the kid. They want me to just somehow magically create a behavior within the dog that makes them understand, okay, I, I, I can no longer do or act this way towards the kid. So in other words, the child doesn't change. The humans don't change. The behaviors, the environment doesn't change. What the dog is, is exposed to doesn't change. But they expect the dog to change. They expect the dog to deal with whatever it is that the dog has to deal with and put up with, but no longer resort to means of defensiveness, to protecting himself, to no longer feel overwhelmed by the threat. And that's just wholly, wholly unrealistic. And this, in a nutshell, is really why we have so many problems with dogs. It is that, uh, that unrealistic point. It is that, that, that line of thinking that makes people feel as if dogs and children are not only a good combination, but they're going to work things out on their own, and they're going to come to an accord, an agreement as to what the relationship is. And that rarely, if ever, happens. So I'm going to give you seven reasons as to why things really do go south, why things, why relationships between a dog and a child can, can just like go off the rails and just go down the toilet immediately 
and, and take a turn for the worse. So let's start with number one. Okay, number one. And these are in no particular order, by the way. But one reason why children, or dogs rather, have so much trouble with kids is that kids are just overstimulating. And it has nothing to do with their age range. I mean, they could be a two-year-old or they could be a 16-year-old. They're just very, very overstimulating. But in fact, especially the younger ones, like children, for example, can be highly emotionally unstable. Yes, and I don't mean in the crazy sense. I mean that they're one minute they're happy, they're over overzealous, over exuberant, really overexcited, and uh, joyful and playful. And the next minute they're having a fit. They're throwing items. They're screaming. They're crying. They're throwing themselves on the ground. So to a dog that's instability. To a dog that's unpredictability. And we'll talk about this a little more later on. But that doesn't create a feeling of security within a dog and uh, as in i've seen in many cases i've witnessed it when a kid flies off uh the the deep end and has a fit he he throws items or she throws items and sometimes they take it out on the dog so it's it's not a positive thing for the dog in any sense to be around that kind of environment if we had it in an adult who was just as emotionally volatile as that we consider that a toxic relationship or a toxic environment. We understand why it's happening. The dog doesn't understand. We understand it's a phase of life for that child and that he or she is going to lose his marbles from time to time. The dog doesn't understand. We understand why the child may be triggered in one sense or another. Maybe he's not getting what he wants. The dog doesn't understand. All the dog perceives is a human who is very nice and maybe soft, and maybe cuddly one moment, and then extremely belligerent, loud, in your face, throwing uh, items, being somewhat even violent uh, towards the dog or in the dog's environment. Okay, so that alone, that kind of relationship can create a, a, a lot of unsettling feelings within the dog. It can make it so that dogs learn how to be anxious and restless of sorts. I took in a German Shepherd about four months ago, and this was a beautiful one-year-old dog who had been raised with two small children. I think the little girl was two. The boy was about three, three and a half. It was a single mom, uh, and the dog had been exhibiting a lot of kind of uncontrollable-like behavior, which is, I guess, a, a blanket term that I get from many people, uncontrollable behaviors. The issue with this dog is that he was never able to relax. He was consistently, perpetually restless. He was always moving and pacing from one place to another, back and forth, up and down. And when he did lay down, on the few rare occasions that he did lay down, it wasn't only for just a few seconds. So he'd lay down for a minute, and just when you think he'd be napping or settling down, he'd get right back up. There had to be no, there was no stimulation. It didn't matter that somebody was coming into the door or there was a there was a, a human within his presence. It, it, the, the place could be entirely quiet and, and relaxed and calm, but he could not calm down. He couldn't calm his mind. And because he was being raised by these two small children, he had that overstimulation going on at all times. And the only kind of uh, respite that he had, the only kind of break in that kind of uh, pattern was when the children were sleeping, when the children were resting. But because he was 
exposed to these behaviors at all times, that kind of unpredictability in the children, that kind of overstimulation back and forth. And this is what I saw during the first visit that I made to this dog. It's just a lot of overstimulation. So mom had her hands full, uh, of course, naturally, with the two small kids. But she was constantly, you know, at their beck and call. And these kids were having their emotional swings back and forth. The little girl was playful. And then the little boy was having a fit. The little boy had a little toy hammer that he was just smacking against the, the uh, a glass uh, table that they had. And within close proximity to the dog. And you can see the... It was palpable, the, the, the restlessness and the anxiousness that was building up in the dog. So when you have a dog who is continuously in the presence of this environment uh, and he has no other way of getting out, add to that a dog that wasn't getting enough in terms of getting his biological needs met, he wasn't getting enough exercise, he was getting no, no real mental stimulation of any kind, what you have is a dog who just at some point just decides, just figures out that this is, this this kind of life can be uh, somewhat unsettling, can be make him feel uncomfortable, can make him feel uh, restless, can make him feel uh, uneasy and, and, and stressed and tense. And that's not good for any living creature, most certainly a dog who needs a little help and guidance in life and can't make sense of what's going on around him. And again, I'll leave it at this, but a dog who is exposed to this at all times and this becomes his, his normal life, you, you have to expect that there's going to be some kind of repercussion. And in many of the cases that I see, is it, what you have ultimately is a dog who just begins to develop that kind of natural anxiety at all times. It becomes part of his personality. He doesn't know how to live any other way other than to be continuously anxious and stressed. The second reason, number two, is that children don't recognize warning signs in dogs. I have been in a situation, I've been in quite a few situations, but one in particular that I remember was a, a family that called me about the issue, again, the dog and child, the child having difficulty with the dog because the dog was beginning to, in their words, aggress and growl at the kid. And I witnessed it where this uh, three-year-old little girl was sitting in front of a dog. And the dog, and really, in all honesty, she wasn't doing anything. I think the dog has already reached his threshold with her. I think the, the relationship between the two had already been clearly established. And I think she leaned over and just extended her arm out, not necessarily in his direction, but he perceived it as her trying to move in a little closer. And he growled. He got up and growled in her face. She laughed. And I stopped it. I had to inform the family for what was going on. So I had them pull her away and move the dog a little further back. But she laughed. And my point is that children uh, typically don't have the ability to read dogs' body language. Uh, because in many instances, the children see dogs as a play thing. They don't understand the potential danger that can arise from a dog that is highly stressed and feeling anxious and the defensiveness and the behaviors that come out of that. So when they do get something as somewhat uncommon as a growl in their face, they can chalk it off. Uh, and not to mention the other signs which are somewhat more subtle. So the tucked tail, the tucked ears, the, the, the wide open eyes, uh, the panting, uh, the hard stares, the, the freezing of the body. 
you know, the tension in the body, all of that can start to convey a dog that is just highly uneasy and very stressed and uncomfortable in the situation. And a, a child, all of that will be lost on the child. Not to mention that it's lost on most humans, most adults rather, but it will almost definitely be lost on the child. The child won't be able to read that. And that's one of the dangers of thinking that the dog and the child are just going to be able to figure the relationship out on their own. That almost never happens because when the dog is communicating, the child can't read it. And when the, do- when the child is communicating, the, the dog has, is completely incapable of getting that message as well. So it, it just does not make for a good relationship or the formation of a good relationship. And make no mistake, whether it's good or bad, when it gets to the point that a dog feels threatened and has to resort to biting, that's a relationship that is formed there. And it's a relationship that has been formed independent of whatever it is that you, the adult, are hoping for. Yes, we adults hope for the best kind of relationship between the dog and the child. But if we're not there to ensure that that it's exactly how it plays out, then a relationship is going to form regardless. And that relationship is going to form just independent of your desires, of your wishes, of your hopes. And it's just not a good, healthy relationship. Number three is that children disrupt, well, children are high disruptors to a dog's sense of routine. I talked about this just a few seconds ago. Dogs need predictability in their lives. Dogs need routine because routine means predictability. And predictability equals safety. When the dog knows exactly what to expect at any given time in any environment and circumstance, then life becomes predictable. And when life becomes predictable, the dog begins to acclimate and understands, okay, this is my life and there's no threat here and it's safe. But what I mean by routine for a dog and what I mean by predictability for the dog means that it's not just the environment. It's not the way you take him out for a bathroom break. It's not the way that you walk him or the leash or equipment or tools that you're using. It's the relationship that you have. It's the relationship that the dog has with the humans in his life and the handlers. That has to be predictable to the dog as well. So the dog has to have a feeling that this is the way that you're going to deal with me every single day. This is more than likely going to be your emotional state. This is the way that you're going to handle me. And that becomes predictable. There's no kind of scary, like, how are you going to come at me today? Are you going to be happy or are you going to be pissy? Are you going to be in a good mood or not? Are you going to be good to me today or are you going to be angry to me? And that lack of predictability is what usually happens with children. Again, as I said, they can be emotionally unstable, right? Again, not like crazy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're crazy. I mean, it's their phase of life. They're, one, they're high one moment and happy, and then the other moment they're, they're having fits and temper tantrums and resorting to violence. Yeah, because they throw items, so that's violence. But that's unpredictable to a dog. A dog can't figure out how you're going to come at him this day, on, on this particular day, at this particular moment. And that's not good. Imagine yourself in the dog's, uh, I was going to say shoes, but not shoes. Imagine yourself from the dog's perspective. Imagine you're dealing with a human, maybe a boss, or a spouse, or a boyfriend, girlfriend, and you don't know how that human is coming at you on any particular day. Imagine walking into a a work environment, and you don't know how your boss is going to be that day, dependent on his or her mood. Am I going to have a good day at work, or am I going to have a bad day? Is the boss going to be good to me today, or is she not going to be good to me today? Tell me that isn't a toxic environment. 
And do you have teenagers? <laughs> because if you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. You don't know exactly what you're going to be dealing with on any given day. Is that kid going to be in a good mood today? Or is it, you know, did, did a friend break up and it's the end of the world? And yeah, it's, it sounds laughable, but it's true. It, you know, the, the emotional state is, is highly, it's evolving. It's highly volatile. You know, it's all over the place. It's, it's unpredictable. You don't know what you're getting on any given moment from that individual, from that person. Now bring this back to the dog. And that is exactly how the dog feels with most children. And again, it doesn't have to be a small child. It can be an older child. It could be a 15 or 16-year-old child. I've seen 15 or 16-year-olds. You would think that they know better. You would think that they know how to deal with the dog. But they don't. So to a dog, that right there, that sense of unpredictability can be highly unsettling. So that goes to my point in number three is that children can be highly disruptive to that routine, to that sense of predictability. It's also that with especially with small children because they're mobile and all over the place and because they don't know any better they're getting into the dog's food or they're disrupting the dog when the dog's eating or the dog goes to lay down and sleep in his usual spot but now because the child is a little older able to move around now the now the child is disrupting that sleep now the child is interrupting the dog every single time the dog settles down in some area now the the dog feels that he has to be on guard for that moving child, you know, and what I hope is that somehow with the points that I'm giving you here is that you slowly start to get yourself into the dog's mind. I want you to see it from the dog's perspective, because as I said at the onset of this episode is that one of the one of the stumbling blocks that we have is that we can't get into the dog's mind. We can't see it from the dog's point of view. We see it from the human's point of view. We see the child. We see that small little angelic kid and we think, how the heck can that kid be threatening to that dog? That dog is 80 pounds. That kid is what, 15? How can that, or 20 or, or 25? How can that kid be any kind of threat to that dog? That's only because you don't see it from the dog's point of view. And you really need to kind of get into that mind frame in order to understand the relationship that is playing out and how it can start taking a turn for the worse. Okay, number four. And this is one that I really want to emphasize because we have this notion that dogs like certain behaviors that we humans, we adults, do to the dog, and certainly some behaviors that the children do to the dogs, such as kissing or hugging or cuddling them, right, or snuggling them hard. I see this all the time. When a dog bite happens, I often get a conversation that goes like, I don't understand exactly how this happened. Those two love each other. My kid is always playing with him. He's always jumping on him or he's always hugging and kissing him and the dog lets him. I don't understand what happened now that suddenly the dog doesn't want it. And again, it's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of putting yourself in the dog's perspective and seeing it from their level. So let me break this down because this is an important point here. There is a difference between tolerating something and accepting something. And what we humans usually see when a dog that is being kissed or hugged by uh, a child or even an adult, we often think the dog's accepting it. The dog accepts us. The dog accepts the, the, the kind of uh, form of affection that we're throwing at him or her. 
we even begin to think that the dog likes it. But I will tell you that in most cases, dogs do not like it, nor are they accepting it. What you're seeing is a dog who tolerates the behavior. And there is a difference there. He is tolerating the behavior. In other words, plainly spoken, the dog is putting up with the behavior for now. He is dealing with the behavior because the, the, the behavior has not created a, a stress overwhelm within him as of yet. He has not reached the threshold level where he says, I've had enough of this. I don't want it. It's, it's coming on too much, too strong, too often. I'm tired of it. But like everything that you tolerate, at some point, tolerance breaks down. And when it breaks down, the dog starts to give you that kind of behavior and language that communicates in the dog's world very clearly if you know what you're looking at. Hey, I don't really like this anymore. I'm not feeling it anymore. I never really liked it. It's like I've had enough of it. You're doing it too much. And that tolerance level begins to wear down. We're seeing the cuddling and the kissing and we are... Uh, coming at it emotionally we're thinking oh look how much the love the, the love between these two is is just like so obnoxiously beautiful look how much she the little girl loves the dog look how he deals with her pulling on his ears he must love her just the same way that we do but he doesn't no i'm sorry to break it to you he doesn't <laughs> your dog does not love your children as much as you think that he does. If at all, what you're seeing is not acceptance. What you're seeing is simply just tolerance. And if you allow it to persist, that tolerance will break down at some point. And this goes into number five, which is that we only recognize the warning signs. So, and by warning signs is like the dog, excuse me, who barks in a girl's face or a little boy's face, or the dog who growls, or the dog who snarls in their face, right? But we miss the very subtle signs because I'll tell you, before a dog gets to that stage where he's growling, he is more than likely giving off many other little subtle, seemingly imperceptible signs that I'm not really loving this kid. I don't want to be around this kid anymore. But we miss it. We tune it out because it's not its not even tuning out. We just don't see it because we're ignorant to it. And, and by ignorance, I don't mean you're stupid. I mean, we don't know what we don't know. We're not looking for it, which is why like one of the big points of this entire podcast, every episode, is that you've got to really know your dog. You've got to learn how to read your dog's body language. It is the only way that you're going to understand what is going on with your dog at any given time. I think I repeat that in every episode, and I will continue to, to beat you over the head with it because it's a message well worth spreading. Not enough people dog lovers, dog lovers, yes, dog owners, dog parents, not enough of us really do understand the dog in the way that we should based on their own communication, their own body language. So the point of number five is that we miss all of the clear warning signs and we only take into consideration the big obvious signs. Wow, that kid, that dog's growling in my kid's face. Yeah, that's a clear warning sign. But I will tell you that there have been many signs leading up to that. One of the things, again, going back to the conversation that I have with, uh, with humans and, and when I do consultations or training sessions, when I go into these homes with these cases, is that they, they always start off with the idea like this came out of the blue. 
Like they had this fantastic relationship, these two, my child and my dog. And then suddenly the dog bit or tried to bite and it came out of the blue. I don't understand it. I never saw anything like this. And my process of getting information is it's very much like Sherlock Holmes. I ask tons of questions. And then when I get through with my questioning and I have a much clearer panoramic view of what actually happened and how it played out, I have to break it down to them. And I have to tell them, listen, this did not come out of the blue. This actually has been playing out for some time, quite some time. Sometimes weeks, months, sometimes a year or so. And this is the culmination. This is the total effect and consequence of all of that behavior that you have allowed to continue and persist. And here are all the warning signs that the dog gave you weeks and months ago that clearly told you, And indicated that dog is not feeling cool and comfortable and easy about that kid. But we missed it. So, you know, I I don't have to break it down, but I've gone into uh, consultations where, uh, in fact, I went into one about maybe a year ago. I remember this this, uh, black lab, beautiful dog, and they had a problem with their two-year-old child who was in that terrible two stage and all over the place. And when I walked in, I had time to interact and engage with the dog. The kid was sleeping. and He was off in a bedroom somewhere. And that dog was friendly as could be. That dog was all over me. He was hanging around me. I was touching him and petting him and playing with him. And he was all cool while I was there with three other adults. Then at some point, may have been maybe 45 minutes into our conversation, the kid wakes up. And he walks into the bedroom. And not, it wasn't a bedroom, it was a living room. He walks into the living room, that kid. And when he does, that dog walked right out of the living room and into another room. And you see, that is a sign. To me, that is a clear sign, which is missed by most humans. And that sign told me, I don't want to be in the same room with this kid. He took a look at that child entering the room. His body posture lowered a little and he walked right out. And those are the signs that we miss. But those are the signs and that's the stage at which we really need to start paying attention. Because that's when we can start creating a plan. That's when we can start getting proactive and really looking at the relationship and say, okay, this relationship is not going well. This is Things are, are, are not feeling good for the dog and this can turn negative fairly quickly so let's get proactive about it let's change it around somehow in some way but we don't so when the dog gives that warning sign because we don't have the ability to see it we just allow it to go on whatever behavior is that created that feeling within that dog it just persists it goes on it festers away until one day the dog decides i've had enough i've had enough i don't even want you anywhere near me you come anywhere near me i'm going to give you clear warning signs And if you persist with that, I'm going to escalate and I'm going to bite you. And that lends into number six as well. Number six is that there is no supervision for the children and the dogs. Look, four and a half million dog bites a year, close to 60% of which are to children. And I would venture a good healthy guess that at the core of those 60% bites are adults who have somehow disengaged disconnected, somehow kind of abdicated their right or their ability to supervise and monitor the children and dog 
and the interaction between the two. Because again, it goes back to the old belief, either we think that the relationship with a dog and child is a natural thing and it should just naturally evolve on its own, so they don't need much in the way of intervention, or we feel that the dog is just a dog, that the dog should generally put up with whatever it is that kid throws their way. In fact, this, this kind of reminds me of a conversation that I had with a, a man. This is going back like maybe three or four years. Again, another situation where these kids were driving the dog crazy. And it was like a family of like four children. And I remember that the husband, the father told me, well, when I was growing up, I remember that, you know, the dog was just there and he had to deal with whatever it is that we, we gave him or that whatever we did. And maybe, yeah, that's, I'm sure that that's the case in a lot of houses. And maybe that's an old school way of thinking about it. But we know better these days. Isn't that the whole purpose of being human? Getting better, getting more informed, getting wiser? Knowing that what was once done, what was once believed is no longer acceptable? That we have progressed? That we are making things better? So these days, we have a better understanding of dogs. And we should all have more clarity with regards to what a dog needs in order to thrive in our human world. So there's no excuse as far as I'm concerned that, you know, we've had this old world thinking of dogs and children should just figure things out on their own. And the dog should really put up with any kind of crap that kid throws at him. That's just ignorance at this stage. And that leads into my last point, number seven, which is that education is, first of all, extremely necessary for both parts. Not only for the dog. Yes, the dog may need some training. I, I Look, in, in all of this talk, I'm certainly not saying that the dog doesn't need any kind of training. The dog may need some training. What I'm saying is that the training and the education has to start with the human first. So, in these examples, if you're dealing with a dog who is feeling overwhelmingly stressed and tense, at all times, in the presence of that child, it is more than likely because of the world, the environment that the, do- that the child has created with that dog. It is more than likely because of the way that the child has, has engaged and interacted with that dog that has formed a relationship in a negative way that makes the dog understand you're not safe, you're not pleasant to be around. And the relationship begins to form because the dog forms an association with that particular human and his or her behaviors. So the education really needs to start with the humans. And that human is never too young to start being educated. Yes, they may be, you know, their, their, their ability to retain information is certainly going to be limited. But it's never too early to start teaching a child how to healthily and properly Healthily, is that right? There's no such word as healthily, isn't it? How to properly interact and engage and deal with and handle a dog. And uh, again, in many instances, uh, children are never taken to that place. They're never taken to that place where they're just pulled aside and just told, listen, this is acceptable be- behavior with a dog, and this is not acceptable behavior with a dog. You can touch the dog in this way. You cannot touch the dog this way. You can deal with the dog when he is here. You cannot touch the dog or interact with the dog when he is over there or doing that thing. You cannot bother the dog when he's sleeping. You cannot bother the dog when he's playing with his bone or his treat. You cannot bother the dog when he's eating his food. You cannot throw these Lego blocks at the dog. All of this requires 
education. And I am really insistent that the education starts with the child first. Because in most of these instances, what you're missing is quite a few things as I've laid out is a lack of education in the humans and the adults, right? Not being able to read the signs in the dog that tell them I'm not cool with this. It's the lack of supervision, that old world thinking of, well, these two are just going to figure things out on their own. And, and it's, it's, it's the lack of education. They're not really training that child. So when they call me and say, my dog needs to be trained, I, I'm thinking in the opposite direction. Not really. Your kid needs to be trained. Because in most instances, if you had created the proper environment and setting and you had really kind of manipulated the relationship that played out and formed and developed between that child and that dog, you have a very, very good likelihood where the dog would have never really gotten to the level where he feels, I've got to take matters into my own hands or paws. So I don't want to make this a long, drawn conversation here, but this is a very important episode. Yeah, I say that about every episode, and yeah, they are important. But this is one that's kind of particularly heartbreaking when I have to go into these situations and deal with it. And it does require a lot of explanation. And I luckily walk away knowing and feeling that these families have had their eyes open to the scenario that's playing out in front of them. It's not, it's not uncommon for me to go into someone's house and just tell them in simple terms, because I'm blunt and direct about it, listen, the, the, you are living in a very unsafe environment here for the child. And yes, the child may have created the environment, but at some point, the dog has given enough, enough warning signs and that relationship has been allowed to form and develop and solidify in some sense to the point where the dog just feels, I just don't want that kid around me. And that's, that's a dangerous situation. Yeah, that's a situation where that dog is likely to act out and bite. So, you may be listening to this podcast, you know, hopefully if you got to this point, you, you may have been thinking at, at the beginning, well, I don't have any kids. Uh, I don't have to really listen to this episode. Uh, but I will tell you, and I'm sure you know this by now, that you don't need to have kids. Because funny enough, kids are ubiquitous throughout our society. They're all over the freaking place. And you can have uh, kids in your, your family, you know, maybe nieces, nephews, grandchildren, you can have kids, neighbors in your neighborhood. You take your dog out to the park. You're going to run across kids. Here's the thing with kids. You know, they, they don't have an off button. Kids push, poke, they pull, they prod. They don't have an off button. They don't respect personal space. They see dogs as, a, as toys and playthings. And if you're not there to help them, to educate them, to inform them, to guide them, I talk a lot about how dogs need a lot of guidance and instruction. Well, guess who else needs that? Small kids. Yes, and even teenagers. And if you're not there to kind of lead them and guide them and, and instruct them as to the proper way to interact with your dog, then you're just kind of, you're setting yourself for something that could be bad. So that's it for my episode for today. I hope that you got some information from this. I hope that this is something that makes you think about your dog. You may be going through a similar situation where you feel, well, my kid is a little kind of uh, out of control or a little wild, and I see the signs of stress in my dog. So hopefully this makes you think about what's going on. This gives you a little more insight, and hopefully you'll be able to develop a plan and take some real action. I, I hope that if you are seriously dealing with some kind of scenario like this or something similar to some of the things that I've described, that you don't just take this and just toss it aside, but you start taking some some action. Because I tell you, statistically, the numbers are high. 
and they don't have to be that high. And the unfortunate side to it is, yes, it's unfortunate that a, do- that a child gets bitten. That's very unfortunate. But to add to the misery of that is that in many instances, these dogs lose their lives. All right, follow me on Instagram. My name is Armando Morales, A-R-M-A-N-D-O-7-7. That's my user account. Go up there, hop on, up there, on there. Yeah, go on there, hop on, shoot me a DM. Let me know you're listening to my podcast. Let me know what you'd like to be able to listen to. I'd love to kind of add some more topics on here. And I've got a long list of them, but more ideas, the better. And uh, all the best to you. Go out there. Have fun, and I'll catch you next time. Take care. This has been Don't Throw Out the Dog. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to this podcast to be the first to hear new episodes jam-packed with actionable tips and tricks, small changes you can make that will make an everlasting difference in the life of your dog and your relationship with it. For more exclusive content, follow Armando on Instagram at ArmandoMorales77.